Praise the Lord, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, wow. We're awake today, aren't we? Well, we hope that you join us in praising the Lord this morning. If you like, please stand, or I'd like, please stand and worship with us this morning.
Okay, before we get started, we're going to play just a little game real quick, an object lesson, if you will, to kind of show you something that um, we need to do. So I need two volunteers who will compete in the game versus each other, Christian and Tommy. First two hands I saw. Okay, so I need the two of you, if you kindly would, to go to the cafeteria so you cannot hear the explanation of what's going to happen in your absence. Okay. Now I need four more volunteers. One. Spread out so we can't be right next to each other. This. Okay, I got a hand right here. Need somebody on the other side of the room. Okay, all right, right way over here. We'll go Arden and Jared. Okay, Jared, if you come to the front of the room with me. Okay, so what we're going to do is when we bring them in, we're going to play two rounds. Okay? The first one we bring in, well, I'll let them, when I go there, I'll let them volunteer as to who's going to go first. Right? So the, their goal when they come back in the room is going to be to find all of the doors. What I've done is I've gone around and handed Terry, there we go. Uh, I've given out little doors that look like this. And um, so when we bring that first person in, I will let you show them the door, and they will know that the, the job is to search out the doors. Now, for those of you who are holding the doors, you can't, the first round, I don't want you to hide them, but they need to be in plain view but I also don't want you to volunteer them, okay? And once you've shown the first person the door, I want you to retreat to the back of the room, and then you can have your door in plain view, and then they, the goal will be to find all five doors, and we're gonna time both of them. The second one, whoever comes in second, when I will, I want you to volunteer your door. In fact, you can go to whatever extent you want to assist that person to get the shortest time, okay? So the first person, you have the door, but don't volunteer it. Just have it sitting somewhere in plain view, and they're going to look for it. The second person, we're going to do the same thing with them, but we're going to let them, you're going to volunteer your door. Either hold it up or whatever you want to do to give them the best chance of winning. Okay, but you still need to retreat to the back of the room when okay. the game starts. Okay, so just hold on one second. I'll let one of them volunteer to go first. Okay, first one, be in plain view, and then they can try to find it. to show you an object, and then your job is to find five of them somewhere in this room as quickly as you can, and you have no more than 90 seconds. Okay? All right? Ready? Go. Carrie has one of them. You already know that. Carrie has one, so don't fail to get that one. <laughs> yeah, 50 seconds left. Harder than it looks, isn't it? Yeah. Might be one. Yeah. And you know, 
30 seconds left. But if you get the one from Paris, so you at least got one. to say it is a little easier to find the doors with help from a friend okay it is especially easier to find the doors from helping a friend who knows where one of the doors are um, one thing I noticed is a couple of people actually threw the door at the person that's getting pretty aggressive um, nobody got up and walked you know ran to him or anything but people called out bear bear that in mind um, as we look at the text today it is a short text I will support it with several other small texts by the time we're done and we may not actually flip to every one of them. I may just read a couple of them to you, and we'll flip to a few of them um, so that uh, we can try to drill down on what I think God is trying to show us in this passage of Scripture. Okay? And so grab your Bibles if you would. And I like to hear a little amen or hoot or holler because this is the moment of our week, not, maybe not the only moment, but the moment of our week here and now where God is going to potentially change our lives through His Word. It's not what I say, but what He says that we're going to, uh, we're going to allow to affect us. And so, as we go to Joshua chapter 2. Thank you, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're reading Joshua chapter 2, verse 22. And if you weren't already there, I'll give you a few seconds. Remember that we are working our way through the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua's name means Yahweh saves. It was not his name originally. His original name was Hosea, but Moses called him Joshua. He is the replacer, if you will, of Moses, the leader of the Israelite people, and he will now lead them theoretically into the promised land. At least that's what God has promised him will happen. And uh, he has been warned over and over again to be strong and courageous. And last week we looked at uh, the second part of the story of Rahab, how she betrayed her people and her king to side with God's people. And that caused her to basically go down in history. She became one of the ancestors of Jesus, even though she was a harlot um, and not loyal to her own people. She sided with God's people. And uh, so that was the right call for her, certainly, and is for many people. 
and then we, we saw the promise, if you will, that they made, and we noticed last week as we worked through it, two things. One, that she had to take certain steps. There were things that she had to actually do. So it wasn't just that she could accept the promise for them, but there were things that she had to actually do, and she began immediately to take those steps. And then we also noticed that, um, we also noticed that the spies, they had certain steps, and they said that they would honor the promise to, they would honor the promise to Rahab only if she didn't go and tell a bunch of other people. Okay? And so that's kind of where we pick up the story. She tied the scarlet cord in the window in verse 21, and now verse 22. And it says, And they departed, and they came to the hill country, and they remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Okay? And so the people that were looking for them, which is basically the counter-espionage unit of the king, if you will, were out searching for them on the roads back toward the Jordan. And they knew that they had to go that way to get back to their people if they were spies, because they knew where the Israelites were encamped. Okay? So they're out there searching that whole side, if you will, and trying to catch them for three days. And they go and they lay low in the hills. And um, then when the pursuers return to the city, they've essentially escaped them. The pursuers had sought them all along the road, but, not ha- but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, And they related to him all that had happened to them. So they were in the hills. The pursuers stopped pursuing, if you will, and go back to the city. They leave the hills. They go down, cross over the Jordan, which is, you know, when you cross a river, it's a moment of danger. It's not easy to cross a river. It's not um, convenient to cross a river. And the Jordan is flowing at this time. There's no bridge there. There's no ford there. Or if there is an easy place to cross, easier place to cross, then you're really exposing yourself to danger because that's where everybody crosses, right? So they cross the Jordan and go back to Joshua and they tell him what has happened to them. So notice that they relate to him. You could say it this way. They proclaim what they have seen and heard uh, while they were over in the promised land where Israel has not taken up residence yet. Verse 24. And they said to Joshua... Surely, meaning absolutely, it is determined, the verdict is in. The Lord, that's God, the word there is actually Yahweh, the creator God, the God of the universe who made everything, has given all the land into our hands. So total domination is in the offing for the Israelites. They will go in and take everything that God has promised them. And these two spies come back with that report. Surely God has given the land into our hands. And all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, so even more than that, God has given the land into their hands, because there's a lot of complications that could arise out of that. Great battles, many losses, the people don't flee, the people do flee, the people come back later, whatever. So the people cause a lot of complications about the, for the terrain. And it says, all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, have melted away before us. And that's a reference not only back to what they heard from Rahab about the, how the people's hearts had failed them, thinking, knowing uh, how God had blessed the Israelites and it was their God and God in heaven and earth and so on. She had delivered that verdict to them. Now they deliver the verdict to Joshua. Okay, so obviously this is by no means the end of the story. We understand that, right? By no means is this the end of the story for these two spies. By no means is it the end of the story for Rahab. By no means is it the end of the story for Joshua, and by no means is it the end of the story for Joshua's people. 
at this point, it's not the end of the story for the people who live in Jericho. In fact, we're going to see quite a bit happen in their lives. It's going to be pretty traumatic very soon. It's coming up fast in the next couple of chapters. That being said, even though this is not the end of the story, the end of the story has now been forecasted. You follow? The message of God to Joshua through Rahab to the spies to Joshua is the people of the land, their hearts have melted before us. They have recognized who we are. They, they realize that God is for us and they, they know that they cannot stand against us. Now that's really something because even just hinting ahead a little bit about the story of Jericho, you realize you've got this huge wall in Jericho that nobody has ever breached and it doesn't look like anybody ever can breach. And Jericho has a large standing army. Notice I didn't say strong. We don't know was their army well trained. We know that they were equipped, but not how well equipped and so on. But we, they have a large standing army and a large wall. And no one is, and, and it's a, a risen structure, so it's not easy to approach it. To try to tunnel under would be a huge undertaking. To get drills up against the wall, which is typical siege tactics, would be a huge undertaking. To try to get ladders up there, you'd have to build a huge earthen mound to get up to it, to even put a ladder on it, to put a ladder up to the wall, to even possibly. And meanwhile, all those who are building the mound are under attack from those who are inside. The likelihood that Jericho is going to easily fall to God's people is slim. But what's the verdict? What did you say? It's done. It's, I know there's a big wall, but it's done and settled. I know there's a big army. It's done and settled. I know the people here are tough. It's done and settled. Clearly and obviously, it's done and settled. Now, did they see the destruction of Jericho? Did they see God's destruction of the armies of Jericho? Did they see the people fleeing necessarily? We don't have a report that they did, although we know by this time many people are fleeing Jericho. The point is, they simply report what they know to be true, and that which they know to be true is founded on the verdict that they received from God through Rahab, through the harlot, through a woman who's not with their people. This is a moment of faith. Notice that they have the same problems that we have. They have been given commands, the entire book of Deuteronomy, which is the end speech, if you will, speeches, really, it's two of them combined, of Moses. They are given the commands of tithing, offering the first fruits, of how to operate the sacrifice, how to operate the temple, what to do when people sin against God, how to live for God, how to not pervert justice, how to treat the alien and the orphan inside your, inside your community, uh, how not to work on the Sabbath, what to do and what not to do, uh, what not to do to the master of a slave who has escaped from his master. I mean, just, it goes on and on and on. They have been given the instructions on how to live. They had to live for God. They were told if they didn't live for God the way they were told they were supposed to live for God, they have already been given the curses on Mount Ebal that their people would be destroyed, that their community would go down, it would, it would fall and be destroyed. But if they do what's right, they would be blessed. So they have been given the instructions to live for God. Well, like we have. We now have the book of Deuteronomy. We have commands all throughout the Bible. We have history with God. We have knowledge of God, firsthand knowledge of God. And they had specific open doors 
They had Rahab giving them a place to hide. They had the hills as shelter. They had God's protection. They had events that were happening on that day that they had a specific thing they had to do. They had to go hide in the hills so that the men would go back and then they could go home and deliver the report. And that's what they were supposed to do, was deliver the report. Remember that it was said that anyone who didn't do what Joshua told them to do would be put to death. So these men are bringing the report from Rahab. They are surpassing the counter-espionage unit and making their way across the Jordan River, which was precarious, to say the least. They're doing all of that under threat of death. But also under threat of great blessing, right? That's where they lived. That's where we live. They had specific open doors in their day, but they had specific challenges too. They were being hunted for by the enemy. Notice that this day, they chose not to face certain specific challenges alone, just the two of them, because they had specific open doors and specific challenges that God had given them. They had a job to do to take back the message. They were spies. They were, it was not their job to defeat the enemy. It was not their job to bring down the wall. They had a specific job to do, and they knew what their specific job was. It was dangerous. It was risky. They were living out there on the edge. They had to live in the hills for three days with little to eat, little resources, and so on, right? They had a risky road, but their road was not to conquer Jericho. Their road was not to... They don't even bring specific information about how... I don't know if Joshua sent them out thinking they were going to come back with reports. You know, there's a sewer system. If you, also, if you sneak through the sewer system, you can just get your weapons in there and you'll be able to come up 50 or 100 strong and then open a gate and then we can conquer it. The no, there's nothing like that. Right? There's no report that comes back that says this is how we can defeat Jericho. Just a report that says Jericho is already defeated before us. And they didn't take any steps to find a way to conquer Jericho. They didn't conquer Jericho themselves. They didn't ambush the counter-espionage unit when it came out against them. They didn't go and pick that fight and say, well, God has conquered this people before us, so those two guys, those five guys, seven guys out there in the hills, we're going to wait until they come through this little narrow pass, and then we're going to jump and we're going to kill them all. They didn't do that. That wasn't their job. They tackled the specific challenges that God gave them that day via the specific open doors that God gave them that day and left the challenges that were for God's whole people to be dealt with, with God, for, by God's people. But they did so in bringing the verdict. Second thing I want you to see in there that they were operating behind enemy lines. Virtually everywhere that they went, they could die. They were being searched for by the counter-espionage unit, and you know that those guys were going to either kill them or turn them over to the king. Or both, right? They were operating behind enemy lines. So are we. We are on the earth, surrounded by people who do not want to live for God. They don't know to, in many cases, want to live for God. They have not seen the blessings and the benefits Right? Some of them are searching. We live in a more spiritual age than ever. There are lots of people who want to know about spiritual things, 
And those people who are alert, if you will, and alert is a difficult word because it's hard to be alert when you're not alive, right? But those who are looking for something spiritual, when they have that first encounter with God and they realize, okay, God is this something I was looking for. God is real and he's powerful and so on. Then they're going to they're gonna do what Rahab did and switch sides, right? But they're functioning behind enemy lines like we're functioning behind enemy lines. We're dealing with everyday people that, frankly, they just don't know. They just don't want to know. Or they would be happy to slam you or persecute you because you're so stupid as to believe in God. And there's a wide variety there, and I get that, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it. But the bottom line is, we also are operating behind enemy lines. God's grace, then, as they operated behind enemy lines, gave them specific insight and provision. You understand? They had a specific thing. God said, go and do this. Now, he did it through Joshua. And Joshua name means God saves. Joshua was the leader of God's people, and he was God's representative, and God had before all the people said, this is the one I'm going to give you to lead you, and so on. So they had a specific command from God to go in there, to visit, to see what was there, to bring back a report, and then to come back. You follow? And so if they didn't do what God gave them to do, what would that be called? That would be sin, Right? And since they needed the provision, since they needed the protection of God, it would be foolish of them to not do what God gave them to do. So if they had decided to ambush the counter-espionage unit, if they had decided to go and talk to the king and negotiate surrender or any other kind of plan, they would have blown it. They would have been behind enemy lines and given up God's grace. And instead of getting that specific insight and provision of God that they were supposed to be given... They would have suffered just the same as was promised to all of the Israelites back in Deuteronomy. You follow? So they're behind enemy lines, doing what God has given them to do, and receiving God's grace, specific insight and understanding to do what God has given them to do, and also God's provision. He's taking care of them. He's arranged Rahab. He arranged the hills. He arranged the everything. All right? And we're in the same place ourselves. The third thing I want you to see in there. They used their specific provision, the provision of God. So while they were behind enemy lines, God's taking care of them, providing a way, and they used the way that God provided to take their specific insight, the knowledge that they got from God through Rahab, to take their specific insight to God's people and encourage God's people to do what it is that God had already told them to do. So it starts like, this is the circle that I want you to see. The spies get the command from Joshua. Who got it from where? From God. God gives Joshua the command. He gives the spies. The spies leave. They go into the promised land. They encounter Rahab. Rahab delivers to them the information that they need, which is that the people's hearts are melting before God. Right? Melting before Israelites who are coming. They take that information. They through God's provision, because God hid them, he protected them, he provided for them, they bring that information or insight back to Joshua to encourage Joshua to do what it is that God has given him to do. Now the question for us then is, is this. Has the verdict already been decided? Because that's the message that they brought back to Joshua. Now in Joshua's mind, I submit to you, it had already been decided. But 
did the people, even though they had committed to follow Joshua, even though they had committed to anyone, by the way, whenever you make a provision that says, we'll all do this, but if anyone doesn't do this, this is what we'll do, you're accepting that some people are not going to do what they said they were going to do. We all say we'll follow Joshua, but if someone doesn't follow Joshua, we'll kill them, right? That was the provision, because they knew that some people would not have the courage, some people would not take the steps, and so on. So, back on task then. Joshua gives the command to the spies. The spies get the information of Rahab, bring, brings it back. Did it come to any surprise, do you think, the report that he got, that Joshua got? Do you think he was surprised? And then the report filters throughout all God's people, which is simply, be encouraged. God has already taken care of it. The verdict is already in. And this is the message to the church today. So step one is, you've got to finally decide that the verdict is already in. You've got to decide that it's already settled. Now, we have a problem, don't we? Because if the verdict is already in, then we don't have to fight. But Joshua receives the verdict, and what are they going to do? They're going to go in and fight, right? God's telling them through Rahab that the enemy is melting before them. But there's no before you while you're camped across in safety. There's a before you when you're moving forward to do what God wants you to do. So now in the, in the upcoming chapters, Joshua, will, Joshua marshals the troops and begins to move them in. And he, but notice that the verdict now is the people's hearts melt before us. Because everyone knows that we're going to go. Now here is the problem that I have. Because in, our, in the church, not just our church, but the church at large and the church in the world, this is what I see. I see people who have the verdict already decided, if you will go and do, Matthew 28, right at the end of the chapter, says, if you will go and share the gospel, then I will go with you even unto the end of the age, right? That they have the verdict already decided. And the verse that Ron's read, God can work all things together for your good, which ends with, for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And so we go for God, and then God will give us the victory. So God has already authorized the victory. God has already called it. It's over. We're not in overtime. It's done. It's settled. So then what Christians tend to do is, well, because I already know I'm going to heaven, now it's time I can lay low, rest, relax, and, you know, save for retirement or whatever, to speak metaphorically. And that's just not right. Because just like Joshua is going to go out with his armies and take the land that God has given them, He's going to live out the promises that God has given him. We have to go out and live the promises. You have to live more and more every day like Jesus. And don't kid yourself, Jesus came to spread the truth about God to the poor, to the weak, to the least of these. He crossed every social barrier, every skin color barrier, every financial barrier. He brought the gospel where the gospel Otherwise, was not going. Because the day that Jesus was born, the people who were supposed to be telling everyone about God were the Jewish people. And instead of telling everyone about God and the way that God was going to make, they were sort of resting back on their laurels. They were absorbing the wealth of the Roman Empire or making sure to stay out of trouble and not have unlawful assemblies and things like that avoiding persecution by the Sanhedrin, which was their own governing body, which it said, if you talk about this Jesus, once you said, come, if you talk about this Jesus, you can lose your land, you can lose your position in, in the fellowship and things like that, right? 
And so, the people who were supposed to be calling people to God stopped calling people to God, and God replaced them with a people that would call people to God. We are a replacement people, just like Joshua is a replacement leader. And the Israelites were a replacement people for the Canaanites who were not following God. The question is, has the verdict already been rendered? Let's read a few verses real quick. And I'll read these off and I'll flip to them. And if, you, if, you get, if you're quick with your Bible and you want to flip along or mark them today, you go right ahead and do that. Or if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. First one I'm going to read is First uh, John. By the way, I am not always quick with my Bible, so I didn't mean anything by that. Don't, don't hold that against me. First uh, John chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You can fiddle with it if you want. You can try to make it figurative or non-literal. But the bottom line is God is saying, if you are with me, I overcome the world, you overcome the world with me, and this all happens through believing in my promises. But, you know, John also wrote about how sometimes, uh, sometimes things are going to be difficult. He quoted Jesus in John 16, 33, when Jesus said, in John 16, 33, and I sort of have this one memorized, but I'm going to read it just to be safe. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. While you are about your mission behind enemy lines, let me paraphrase, you will have trouble. You're going to face all kinds of manner of difficulties, but fear not, don't worry about it. Stand up, be encouraged, be strong, because I have overcome everything that could ever pose you any physical, mental, psychological, emotional, whatever difficulty in this world. It's all done and settled. When it's all done, you will see that it was already all done. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Because this is before his crucifixion. But he's saying, once it's all done, you will see that it was already all done. Revelation chapter 13 and from this, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and we really just need one point that I want to show you. And I, I would almost guarantee, because I've done this before myself, that you would read this passage of Scripture and miss this one point that I'm going to point out. Okay? And I'm reading Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain, and the fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. 
and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Ouch. That sounds really bad. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. That sounds really bad. Verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. In the face of that evil, and I I know you can get wrapped up in it doctrinally and, and think deeply on the topic, and I encourage you to do that at some point in time. But that's not the point. In the face of that evil, when all evil works together and becomes so powerful that all the world knows about it and all the people of all the world decide to worship the evil and the evil's evil, we who have chosen Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we who have been won by the Lord of heaven, we for whom the blood of Jesus was spent, we whose names are written in the book of life, when all the world sees the evil and the evil's evil and bows down before it and worships it because it's big and it's grand and it solves all your problems and it makes you rich and it's addictive and it's persuasive. And when the evil's evil receives all the evil that there is and all the world rises up to worship it, we who have been written in the book of life will not. And in that moment, on that stage, when that scene is set and all is clear, then all will know, all the world which, re- which worshipped the evil's evil, and all the evil that rallied, and all the supposed Christians who rather than living for the Lord turned to where they could see obvious power, will know. That those who did not turn, and in many cases it would be that those who chose rather to be slain or persecuted and died, still believing in the Savior, that they were right. That's when those who do not now accept the verdict will finally accept the verdict. But are you one who accepts the verdict? Do you accept what's written there in Revelation 13? Do you realize that tomorrow an evil may rise? That everyone, I mean, everyone will recognize, hey, that's a good thing. It provides, it does this, it does that. I want that, I'll eat that, I'll drink that, I'll take that, I'll be a part of that. And everyone begins to flock to it. And everyone begins to worship it. And you have to say no Because I see that that is something that is contrary to God. It's contrary to the teachings. Behind enemy lines, you have to say no when there's just two of you and the counter-espionage unit is hunting for you and you're in the hills without provisions, hungry, and you've got nothing. And you have to work your way back to God's people and say, yes, we had nothing. Yes, we were in danger. Yes, we were at risk. Yes, God provided for us. Yes. God's verdict has already been rendered. But we have to live for God and we have specific open doors and specific challenges just the same as they do. Let's talk history of New Heights for a minute. Do you know, some of you don't, so I'm going to share with you. Did you know that early in our history, 
the, the New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, which is what we are now, constituted a little over two years ago, that we met in Northwood High School. And the year that we met in Northwood High School, we worshiped there in the cafeteria. First, we met, we met in two classrooms, and we didn't fit so good. And then the principal said, well, you know, go ahead and use the cafeteria, and we'll still charge the same amount. So we paid about $40 a week to meet, and uh, Brother Tony built some racks in the panel truck. And every week, those of us who were worshiping the Lord, those of us who were serving at New Heights, would show up two hours, our service was 11.30, we'd show up at 9.30, between 9.15 and 9.45, but basically 9.30, and we would unload that truck, we would set up the drums, we'd pull out the stage, we'd set up the chairs, we'd put the little Lego table in the back so Miss June could sit back there with the preschoolers. And we, we had the classroom set up for the God's kids. And we went down the hallway and we set up flags. When so people come in and have the flags, we'd talk about Jesus. Two hours before service was supposed to start. And then we would preach the gospel and we would sing the songs and whatever. And during that same year, we decided we had to get out in the community and tell people about Jesus. And we want to serve people, love on people. So we decided to have some block parties. And that year we had, I think, seven block parties. I mean, I got that number right, but we had a lot of block parties that year. And we had a little plot of land there in North, we had a block party. And did you know, it wasn't until the last block party that we shared the gospel. And if it was seven, that means we had six block parties where we loved on people. And we gave them free stuff. One of them, we set up the dunk tank out there. It was a dreary day. People were in the drunk tanks that could throw balls at it. People were stopping. We had three, 400 people there at this block party over the four hours or so. And we had a table where they could pick up tracks or information about the church. But we didn't talk to them about Jesus, and we didn't preach Jesus. Because we had an open door to serve in that way, but we didn't do it. And then somewhere along the line, somebody in our fellowship, I don't even know who it was, said, hey, you know, I think we should be preaching the gospel at these block parties. And so we started doing that. And at the very last one, in the very last 15 minutes, as it started to rain, I got up on a chair and I preached the gospel. And before that, an hour before that, Josh Mitchell sat at a table and he was talking to some people about Jesus and shared the gospel. And I don't think anybody got saved when I preached and I don't think anybody got saved when he shared at the table. And he was only like 13 or something then. But the point is, we had an open door but rather than taking the specific task, and the, we had the provision of the Lord, rather than taking the specific task that God has given us to do, we just thought if we just serve people and love people, they'd figure it all out. We are a church about helping people reach new heights in Jesus. At one point in time, we said, well, we're going to have a motto. Our motto is going to be reaching new heights in Jesus because we believe everybody's supposed to be growing. Hear me now. If you came to this church building today, you sat in these chairs today, and you worshiped with us today, and we had... The sermon today, we had an inspirational moment. People were encouraging us about reading our Bibles, and verses came out. And it, You're supposed to be reading your Bible. You're supposed to be studying. You're supposed to be growing in the Lord. You're, if you ride in the church van, you ride in the church van under the pretense, under the statement that you're going to come here because you want to learn and grow in the Lord. If you're in my household, my wife, my children, you have a responsibility because we have a command from God, and I've passed it down to my family, that we are supposed to be growing in the Lord. That's our specific obligation. But it goes much further than that. What open doors do we have? We have a church website. Did you know that our church website had over 2,000 hits this last month of people? And some of those are robots and whatever. But people all over the world. And we can go back and trace some of those. People are looking at them. Now, if I said a raise a show of hands, how many of you were on our church website in the last month? How many hands do you think would go up? 2,000, let's say 1,000 people all over the world. But we get maybe, what, five hands? Let's try it. How many of you were on the church website in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Two. Two hands. 
Okay? 2,000 people from all over the world, or let's say 1,000 maybe, right? From all over the world. But two of us, three, because they're me. Right? And uh, there might be some of the children's department, stuff like that. So we might get five or eight. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's an open door. It's a provision. It's an opportunity, right? I wrote a book. One of the first books I wrote called Think Again. I'm using this as an illustration. I'm not encouraging you to go out and read the book. But that book has now sold copies all over the world. It's cheap. Okay? Maybe people are only buying it because it's cheap. I don't know. But it's a cheap book. And it's inexpensive. Not cheap. It's inexpensive. And it's sold more copies in the Middle East than it has in the U.S., which is really weird. So I think I'm like being stalked or something. I don't know. Um, but the point is, there are probably... Let's say there are a dozen people, I think it's more like 25 or 30 or whatever, a dozen people that have purchased that book and read it in Croatia. Do you know where Croatia, can anyone locate Croatia on a map? Okay, so there's a dozen there. Now if we all said, how many people have read Think Again here? We wouldn't get a dozen hands. Now, I'm not saying we should feel guilty. What I'm saying is that is a provision of God. You understand what I'm saying? That God gave us that message. There are people here that come and speak at an inspirational moment. How many people here were listening when Brother Ron was talking? Okay, if you could tell me what verse Brother Ron read, raise your hand. He read a verse during inspirational moment. How many people can tell me? Okay, almost half of us. Okay, and if the others are just not participating, knock it off. This is participatory, okay? So, we'll try one more time. If you could tell me what verse he read, raise your hand. Participate. Every, if you can tell me what verse it was, raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, so, I, and you weren't here. That's all right. Uh, so, why were you late? I'm just kidding. <laughs> the point is, the, okay, well, praise God, you feel better. I'm better. All right, all right. Anyway, so the point is, God gave us that message. Did anybody catch the name of the devotion that Nikki's doing? God gave us that message. We came here today to hear from God, and then let's be very simple and overly simplistic about it for a moment. We came here to hear from God, and then God spoke through his people, and then you dismissed the verse that someone read. You don't know what it was, where to find it, you couldn't repeat it. You can't go home and tell your parents or your friends or your or, or fellow co-workers about it because you dismissed what was said. You dismissed the devotional that someone said. God spoke, and you didn't listen. So you say we, we say we come together to listen. I'm saying, now you can't remember everything. Nobody remembers everything. I only remember the verse because I like that verse and I happen to have it memorized. I might not have remembered it otherwise, so I'm not scolding you. Okay? But what I am saying to you is these guys had to work in the provision that God gave them to carry out the mission that God gave them through Joshua, ultimately ending with they came back to their fold, they came back to their people, and encouraged their people to do what it was that God had already told them to do. And now their message was, understand this, it's already done. It's already settled. I know you're freaking out about the fact that sometime this later this week we're going to march out and go up against this huge wall, and we're going to have to spend months building a rampart to get up to the wall or whatever to be able to put up the first ladder. And the first guy up the ladder is like 99% going to die. Yep, I know. And you're thinking you might be that guy, whatever. And, and you're timid. You're trying to be strong. trying to be courageous. You're trying to. And now we have two tribes that have to march out in the front. So they're going to take all the casualties because their women and children are staying behind, settling the land that they're in. You remember that story? It was from three weeks ago, right? And they're going to be in the front line taking all the casualties. And I know you're feeling like... Debating with yourself, am I courageous or cowardly? But hear me now. God spoke. Let's stop for a second. Not through a Christian who was faithful and came to church. Not through somebody who has served you at your house or stopped by and mowed your lawn or shoveled your snow. Not through somebody who visited you in the hospital. Not through somebody who's been to seminary or whatever. But God spoke through 
Rahab the harlot, and she told us, and we know God spoke through her, she told us, the enemy's heart is melting in them. When God speaks in our fellowship, then I'd be like that old E.F. Hutton commercial. I'd be like, everybody, and I guess, you know, we got toddlers and preschoolers and we have minor distractions and whatever, but otherwise it ought to be everybody just shut up and listen to God speaking right now. And if you're not willing to accept the provision of God while you are behind the enemy lines, then you may as well go back and read the last couple chapters of Deuteronomy and understand the curses that God has promised for those who refuse the provision. And I submit to you, as dangerous as this sounds and as sad as this sounds, we have a long and storied history. We need to realize what God has been doing. And now we have so many open doors. You know how many people are in this room right now who could honestly say, in our fellowship, I know that God has called me to do, and they can finish the statement. It's more than you think, probably. There's a bunch. And if you know what God has called you to do, then this is how you do that. You go do what God has called you to do. And when you're at risk, when you're in danger, you let the body support you. And, it, and you don't tackle the enemy. Satan comes in the room. I know that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Satan himself comes in the room. You rebuke him, and then you walk away. Unless God tells you to stand your ground, it's not your job to fight the devil. That's not your job. That was Jesus' job, by the way. He already did it and won. And how did he do it? He did it by dying. Is that how you want to win? Well, in a sense, it is how we're supposed to win. We're just to die to self every day, right? Join with Jesus and his same sacrifice. And some of us are going to die. There are people in this room who will die to persecution. But there are people in this room who are going to catch this thing that I'm talking about that we can see through the life of these spies. And they're going to say, hey, we have great provision and unbelievably open doors. And it's time now that we walk in great provision and utilize our unbelievably open doors. We have team leaders in our church that have one or maybe two team members. And they're going, man, I know what it is that God wants me to do, and I just need people or I need resources to be able to get that done. And you may need to give of your blood, sweat, equity. You may need to give of your money to make sure that gets done. We have people in our church that work at the life station. There are people that are there that are poor, and they come there because they don't have any food. They come there because they just lost their job, or they need clothing so they can go to a job interview or whatever. And we have a few people that work there. We have opportunity. We have people that work at Cherry Street Mission. There are people that are coming down there that they don't, they don't, they haven't eaten. If they wouldn't eat at all today, if it weren't for the Cherry Street Mission, and Cherry, Cherry's one of the primary people making their food. All in our little church. We're not the people in this room. Do you understand? They have unbelievable open doors. We have a couple of people in this room that are so passionate about God that if they could, they would literally quit their jobs and work sun up to sundown for the Lord. Where is your passion? Where is your courage? What are you doing for God? We've been given a message as a church that you have to figure out what it is that God wants you to do and then pour yourself into that. That's what we're talking about when we're saying priorities first. But I also know that we have enemies that are rather vigilant. They couldn't go back to Joshua with their message until the enemy stopped blocking the way. And so I also know that your mind is plagued. I know that your heart is bumpy, to say the least. I know that your resources, where you think, well, you know, God loves me, so I should always be rich. And you look at your resources, like, well, I could use a little few more bucks here or there. You know, sometimes I don't have what I think I ought to have or I want to have. And sometimes it's your fault, not God's fault, but sometimes God gives you lack so that you look to him for his provision. And we have specific challenges. Do you not know there are 286,000 people in the city of Toledo and 88% of them are lost or unchurched? Want a scarier number? 
For 50,000 people, it's 88%, so it's uh, 40,000 people that are going to church every Sunday or regularly going to church, and they claim the name of Jesus, and of them, I'll bet you 75% of them aren't saved. That's a scary number. You want a really scary number? It's a number that only God knows. It's how many people in this room will stay the course when it really gets rough, when the tribulation really comes, when the evil and the evil look a lot better than serving God. When you literally have to cross armed men to be able to come together even at a friend's house to do a Bible study, when you're in danger of that Bible study being broken into so your Bibles are taken or your teachers are taken, when you're picked up off the street one day and punished for being a Christian and beaten all night long or otherwise persecuted so that you'll tell them who told you about Jesus so that they can go and kill that person. And I know it's not like that in the United States of America right now, but there are places in the world where it is like that, and they don't get up in the morning thinking about how they can entertain themselves or how they can, they can eat more sweets or how they can put more in a day, how they can watch more TV, or whether they'll binge three or seven episodes today. They don't get up in the morning and do that. They get up in the morning thinking about reading their Bible, hoping and praying and honoring God that God will take this terrible time and make out of it something that will be good for them. Because they face the tribulations. Our tribulations are things like uh, finding transportation or the car broke down or figure out how to get the bill paid or whatever. Nobody's breaking into your house at night and grabbing you by the back of the scruff of your neck and dragging you out. And that's what they truly face. I had a friend of mine, I'm coming to my conclusion now, I had a friend, we're going to read a couple verses though. Uh, I had a friend of mine who uh, really was sort of a mentor, he was a teacher at Great Lakes while I was there. He became a missionary to Russia when the wall came down when the uh, Iron Curtain came down, and they were planting churches in Russia. And he went to a house church in Russia. And they went in the front door of this house church, and there was a hallway went to the left, and they went straight down. It's a narrow hallway. It's only maybe like about a little less than three feet wide. But on both sides of the hallway were pictures of men. And they had a few women, but basically it's their pictures of men. And the hallway was not lit as many halls and rooms and stuff like that over there are not. They don't have electricity in every room like we do in a lot of the urban environments and stuff. And so they, they brought up a light. They saw the pictures on the wall. And there were men younger than Dylan and Chris, younger than Arden, young men. And there were older men, older than Brother Tony. And everything in between. 300 or more men, he said. And he said, this is an incredible little church. These are your founding members. He said, so these are your founding members. Where do you put them all? You have 300 people. Do you have other branches? And he started to get really excited. We find these 300 men. Imagine what we can do now that the curtain is down. Imagine what we can do with 300 founding members of this little house church. We need a revival because maybe they all fell away from the Lord. And we can bring them all back in. And we'll get us a big building or a bunch of buildings or a bunch of houses. And it'll be incredible. And he started to get really excited. He said to the guy, where are they all? And he said, these are not the founders of our church. These are the martyrs. These are all the men from age 12 to age 70 or whatever that died when it was illegal to be a Christian in the USSR. And he said, two things struck him at the same moment. He said, first of all, he said, he, he said this is going to be a harder job than I thought because all the mature Christians may be dead. They're all killed hunted down by the Russian police. It was illegal to be a Christian in that country and illegal to be sharing the gospel, illegal to own a Bible. 
until the Iron Curtain came down. Well then, it occurred to him at the same time that actually maybe it was going to be easier than he ever thought. Because those were all men who knew that the victory was already won. And they had to have told thousands of people that truth. He said, now, all we have to do is look at one picture on the wall and say, who did that guy tell about Jesus? Now, who did that guy? Who did the death of that guy tell about Jesus? And he said, there are 300 pictures there. He figured that meant they were thousands and thousands of people that they had told. And now they were free to go and find those people and tell them and say, it's easier he didn't wind up staying in Russia very long. He was only there for a few months. But a movement of house churches started in Russia that did arise out of that one church, and that's basically how they did it. I'm going to read a couple of verses real quick by way of conclusion. The first one is uh, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 is a prayer for victory over our enemies, ironically. And this is what it says in verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. In fact, it goes on in verse 8. I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to now. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Which are you? Which are you now, let alone then, under more difficult times? Are you one who has bowed down and fallen? Or are you one who has risen and stood upright? And kid yourself not, to rise and stand upright means to live for God. It means to live for God under the press of specific daily challenges. It means to live for God moving through specific open doors. It means to live for God allowing the provision of God, what he has provided. And before you say, I don't have a lot, you're all, as I look at you, you're all healthy enough to serve God in so many ways that you couldn't list them all in your lifetime. The provision of God. Before you say, I don't have enough money, everybody here's got clothes on their back. You say, well, I don't have any income. It doesn't matter. You have clothes on your back. And some people don't have that. Everyone here can speak. And that's what we're commanded to. Everyone here can listen. We're commanded to that as well. And maybe even more importantly, listen rather than speak. Some have fallen. Let us be those who have risen and stand. Claim the victory as settled, but then advance. It said the enemies before us are melting. Not the enemies around us. Not the enemies in our midst. But as we move forward, the enemies before us are melting. One more. Or, well, at least one more. We'll go quickly. Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 34. Uh, 23 and 24, sorry. 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. What, what was it that he delighted in? He delights in loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And I assume also he delights in he who boasts of knowing the Lord. 
couple other quick ones real quick, and I'll, I'm not going to take the time to flip there so I have this list. Psalm, uh, sorry, Psalm 46.10. Cease striving. In other words, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to go this way and that way and every other way. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. That's a verdict. I will be exalted in the earth. That's another restatement of the same verdict. Daniel 11.32b says, But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. There are people in this room who know what their calling is, and if you don't know what their calling is, then you need to. And they are an open door for you to plug in and do something. And then if you're in this room, it is the job of every Christian to figure out what it is that God has you do. Obviously, there's witnessing and living for the Lord and being compassionate, kind, and merciful, and those are the primary things. But there is a specific way in which God wants you to enact that in your life. It's time you figured it out. It's time you stopped playing games and lived with passion and strength for the God who has given you the victory. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this, and this will be my closing comment. If you will not, then he will not. If you will not move forward for the Lord, then he will not give you the victory. And what's going to happen is one day there will come an evil. And you say, oh, I would never. But there will come an evil. It will loom so large in your vision that you can't see past it to see God anymore. And you will worship it. You say, I won't. But if you won't move forward for God now, why do you think you will move forward for God under threat of intimidation and fear and pain? Why would you move forward then in the face of suffering if you won't now 